Now, I hope you enjoy this, the first part of my chat with Carla Ramesh. She's a real treasure, and we had so much to talk about that the one session I thought we were going to have turned into two. So here's part one. Next time on Poetry Bee Readings, you can hear Carla read more of her work. Do let us know if you enjoy this podcast, and spread the word. We'd love to share our work with as many people as possible. So with that, enjoy. Hello and welcome to Poetry P Readings. My name is Patricia and today I'm truly honoured to be joined by one of India's leading haiku experts, or should I say Japanese short form experts, Carla Ramesh. Carla is a haiku poet and has been a mentor for the last 17 years. She's the founder and director of Triveni. I'm doing my best, Carla. <laughs> haiku India and founder and managing editor of Haiku Katha Journal. She's editor, haiku editor of Under the Basho since its inception in 2013. She's also a co-editor of Wishbone Moon, an anthology of haiku by women. She judged the Haiku Poets of Northern California Highburn Contest 2021 and the Sable Books Haiku Contest for Women Book Award 2021. She's a speaker at international haiku conferences. I think we've all heard her. She was long listed for the W.E. Kamala Das Poetry Award in 2020 and received the W.E. Trailblazer Poet Teacher Award also in 2020 from Women Empowered India. Her book of haiku and haibun, Beyond the Horizon Beyond, was shortlisted for the Tagore Literary Prize in 2019. And her third book, The Forest I Know, was published by HarperCollins, launched at the prestigious Jaipur Literature Festival in March 2022. Carla, long-winded I know, but I had so much to tell you, to say about you. Welcome to P Towers and Poetry P Readings. I must say that I'm honored, truly honored to be here and to be uh, invited to Poetry Towers and Poetry P Readings. Uh, Patricia, I've been following your, uh, your uh, readings and your uh, uh, YouTube uh, sessions and your magazine. And I think you're doing a brilliant job. And there is a warmth in the way you talk and there is a genuinety in your, the way you smile and the way you conduct the whole um, session, which is, I think, beautiful. So I'm honored, deeply honored. Thank you so much. You know, well, I've already said to you, Carla, I'm so, so um, nervous about being with such an eminent hiker. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, 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 no. But you know what? I was so proud, Carla, when I learned that um, learned about the publication of The Forest I Know. And I don't know, you tell me, uh, am I reading too much into it? But I thought it was a major achievement to have an English language Japanese short form book published by a mainstream publisher. It was fantastic. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, thanks, Patricia, for bringing that book into a, a hypo session because that is completely on tanka. Uh, to be published by a mainstream publisher, HarperCollins, and, and added to that to have the book launched at the prestigious Jaipur Literary Festival a few months back is huge for me. It's huge for all of us in India, I think. This reminds me of Neil Armstrong some 50 years back. He, when he took the first step on the moon, he uttered words that would be written into history books for generations to come. That's one small step for man. 
one giant leap for mankind. Maybe I can see the same thing. It's one small step for me, but it's a huge pat and a huge encouragement for the Haikai movement that is brewing in India is doing so well. And I think it's going to be a huge um, opening of doors for us. Tanka, as you would probably know, is a 1,300 year five line lyrical form of poetry from Japan and was originally called Waka, which translates as short song. In comparison, Haiku is just 400 years old. The title, The Forest I Know, was suggested by Michael McClintock, who, was also, who has also written a beautiful afterword for this book. The forest on any given day is a place of sunlight, heavy rainfall, darkness with elusive shape-shifting shadows, a place for guarded secrets and hunger that's loud and naked. The more we enter these arboreal living spaces, the more it becomes a metaphor for the mystery of the human psyche. So disillusionment, betrayal, disappointments, alienation, and non-being, along with the joys of discovering life through lived moments is what my book, The Forest I Know, is all about. I've been getting excellent reviews about it from poets who have read it, and that's a good feeling to breathe into. I'm sure it is. Um, and I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put the um, details in the show notes for that as well. So if people want to catch yes. up with it, that would be, yes. be good. Now, I was reading a short essay that you wrote. Um, I can't remember where, but it would, the, it would be in the, oh, it will be in the um, show notes too. It's called yes. Silence as Seen in Indian Aesthetics. And you said, the difference in quality of a silence coming from a spent breath and one coming from a lung that is almost full is remarkably felt by the listener. One might wonder what the difference is. A silence coming from a spent breath is devoid of emotion because there is no vital life left in that breath. It's almost dead. Whereas silence, even if it's only for a half pause, when it comes from a full lung, it's pregnant with emotions. And you illustrated the point with this poem. An autumn note. An autumn note, my breath holds even the song's silences. I'd really love you to say a little bit more about the idea of the spent breath versus the almost full lung. Uh, I'd have loved to hear more in the essay, but I, I'm guessing that you were short of space, a limited amount of space. So. If it's not too much to ask, could you just elaborate on that idea, please? It, this, uh, this thought came to me from music, of course, mm -hmm. because I learned for more years, I've learned music than I've done haiku. In music, especially in vocal music and uh, flute, anything where you hold a breath and you bring out the note or the, the music or the tune or the raga, you need to know how to hold the breath Yes, the breath is short. And we all know the importance of breath, right from uh, in India, the dancers understand breath, the philosophers understand breath in, through meditation. Buddha was talking only about the ana and the pana, the ingoing breath and the outgoing breath. 
when breath is so important, why is that? When we talk about haiku as one breath poem, we break it up into three breaths, which is very sad. I still remember Jim Cashian talking about um, reciting a haiku poem in, I think it was in Santa Fe in 2015. I'd been there and he was talking about how uh, we literally swallow the haiku. We don't tell come to the end with the same type of volume. And since haiku should be said the second time, it's said the second time and all the more softer. And he says, and he said one line, which I can, I can never forget. He says, when with such recitals, only mothers will sit and uh, watch these things, <laughs> not the others, because it seems so uninteresting when the poem, instead of coming into full force, coming into being, is, it just dwindles or just fritters away, just fades away into nothing. Okay, so for that, I had a presentation in 2019 at, uh, at uh, Winston-Salem, it was a one hour session on how to recite poetry because I've been doing this for the, with my college students, undergrads from 2012, because you know how um, teenagers are. They have their hair, they push their hair, they stand on one leg and they don't, you know, they do so many things. I keep telling them that looking at them, I'm losing the point that they are reciting. Yeah. So I teach them how to stand right from the standing. It is a yoga position where the spine is straight so that the voice comes rising up. And then I asked them, you know, in this um, um, session at uh, Santa Fe in, in uh, Winston-Salem, I said, how do you say a poem? I'll just quote my poem because that seems earlier, easier for me. Dense fog, the train evaporates into a distant horn. That's how gently people say it. But I feel in a one breath poem, when you want to have the breath full and show how the volume should be and how the continuity should be, I would say dense fog, the train evaporates, I come back. Dense fog, the train evaporates into a distant horn. I don't break the lines in the second and the third line, it comes together. I would say it's a full lung recitation. I can give you one more uh, 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 example. Morning Raga, a honeybee attempts. Morning Raga, a honeybee attempts to waken the bud. You understand how you get, uh, Patricia, how I've continued the, my breath without letting go. And that I think is a full breath. And a spent breath is morning raga, a honeybee attempts to waken the bud. You know, I'm taking breaths in between. You might not be knowing it, but because I'm a musician, I know that the breath when we take gets an abrupt cut. When we don't take and if the lung is full, it is pregnant, it is there, it is holding the note, it is holding the words, it's holding the silences in its, in its grasp or in its whatever. I would like to sing one small song, mm -hmm. show the continuity of the notes, because I do Hindustani classical, North Indian classical, but I'm, I'm a South Indian and I've 
this particular uh, song is sung in every uh, marriages. So we've heard it from the time I was a kid, I've heard this song. Let me just sing it. And you see how the notes are elongated and cut short. And the breath I take doesn't show it is a continuation. So I give a full breath. I hope it comes well in the Zoom because sometimes the voice gets cut. Thank you, Carla. And I have to say, you've now worried me about the way I, I read. And it's, it's very interesting. When I do the podcast, I stand up. When, when I'm reading out poetry, I stand up and I say it with um, a singer's breath. If you yes, know what I mean. yes, that's the way to go about it. Yes. When you said the last line tends to go quite softly, I've got a horrible feeling I'm guilty of that. Morning, yeah. Raga. A honeybee attempts to waken the bud. I'm yeah. there clear till the end. I don't say morning, Raga. A honeybee attempts to waken the bud. I've literally just recorded the podcast. Carla, I'm not going to go back and redo that one, but I should be much more aware. <laughs> no, 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 don't do it. it. It slowly comes. It's taken me some years to get here. And I think um, uh, we tend to uh, not give information emphasis to the third line when the emphasis should be given to the third line that is because your breath is getting out yeah the breath is getting um exhausted thank you that was that was really interesting um i mentioned in passing the indian aesthetic i just wondered if you would give us a little bit more about that about the history and, and, and where yes. it comes from uh, you have said and why india has such a strong haiku tradition yeah and that line made me think, think so much, because um, I've been teaching undergrads and the first, second class or so, I tell them if India can boast of the Navarasas, which is the nine distilled emotions like love, Shringara, humor, Hasya, wonder, uh, would say um, Acharya, courage, Veera, anger, Krodha, sadness, um, dukkha, fear, bhayankar, disgust, vibhasta, and calmness, shanta. 
it centers around the nine rasas, our aesthetics. And musicians don't have all the nine rasas, but we do, but the dancers, they just play with the nine rasas. Our drama is all around the nine rasas, okay? And so I was telling them, if India could boast of the Navarasas, the Japanese could boast about the link and the shift. The link and the shift permeates throughout their poetry that the, over the last 15, 17 years that I've been uh, working with it, I say Lincoln shift is here, Lincoln shift is here, not the way we do Lincoln shift in Renku where it started. That is a different type of Lincoln shift. But here in Haibun, in Haiku, in Tanka, in, in Haiga, you name it, there is the link and the shift happening. But that is not what attracted us through the nine rasas or through the silk route. That is not what attracted us and why Indians are doing well in Haiku tradition. This is my own. It can be disowned or poof uh, poof or whatever that word is by others. But uh, let me talk about Buddha, as you all know, was an Indian prince. And in the eighth century, we had Adi Shankara who performed or who discovered or wrote about Advaita, which is the oneness, the one concept, the oneness, non-dualism, which brings everything together. It is the Indra's net. There is everything, the pulsating consciousness is one. The blade of grass, the, the consciousness that is the blade of grass is in the mountain. Is it, it is in you, it is in me. It is the same consciousness that pulsates in all of us, okay? That is Advaita, the oneness, the non-dual concept. Yeah. Buddha came around that time and he was fascinated. He was against all the other things that Hinduism conveyed, the superiority of the Brahminical class, so many other things were there. He took just the dhyan, the meditation concept, and dharma, okay? Mm -hmm. And later, it's in Osho's book, okay? And later, this traveled, this thought traveled, for we know for sure that dhyan, yoga or meditative absorption, it traveled to China and there it became Chan because they couldn't get the word Dhyan. It's a very typical Sanskrit word. So it became Chan. And when it was transported to Japan, you know, Japan took everything from China. The Chan became Zen in Japan. And so the Dhyana yoga was taken by Bodhidharma from Kanchipuram South India to China from where it penetrated into Japan. Then you come back to Osho's book. Osho was a very good uh, controversial uh, philosophical figure in Pune where I live. And he was there also in America, Osho, in his book called Zen. I've read it nearly five or six times. It was a, it's a classic book where he says that India is very good at getting the beach, the seed. China is good at nurturing and growing it. And Japan is a place for the idea to blossom, to bloom, to become. When uh, Blit went in 1950 to, to Japan and stayed for two years, and then he wrote, he said that you have to know um, Zen to be able to write haiku. 
And now people just say, no, that's not right. No, what he meant was all the four uh, masters, Basho, Isa, Busan, and Shiki were Buddhist monks. Then Rokan was a Buddhist monk. Jioni was a Buddhist monk. So what they wrote came from the depth of this oneness. It was not you and me, but it was we. In India, the principle or the, or the oneness or the non-dualism is there in everything we do. Just like Ma is a culture of Japan, uh, oneness or the non-dualism is a culture in India. I mean, you take Basho's um, quote, which we all quote. Basho said, when you write about the bamboo, you become the bamboo. A flute player, he blows into the flute. It becomes a note when it can be done by musicians and dancers and everybody. Why can't a haiku poet do that? And that is, I think that is a secret where Indians are just getting haiku like magic. They are just churning out poem after poem because they understand the concept of oneness, non-dualism, unlike the West where I am one and God is another. So I think it is this oneness of thought between Zen and the Hindu Vedanta or the Advaita that we call it. And that is the bridge that makes our getting the haiku way. Of course, many people might not agree with me. Outside India, they're writing beautiful haiku. There's no doubt about it. But oh, yeah. being a new entrant into the field, we're doing well. I wondered if you would give us just an idea of some of the projects within the Indian haiku scene that are very dear to your heart. I would love to. Uh, my pet uh, project is Triveni Haika India. Every website I know, you know, has one or, one or two, mostly one webmaster. We all know that. But Triveni Haika India, you won't believe, has 40 webmasters. <laughs> wow. 40 of our people, they know how to get into the Wix. Uh, dashboard, they know how to upload, they know how to edit, they know how to do everything, and they know how to post it, they know how to schedule it, and they do the dates, and every week, we have one one um, feature, and it comes on automatically. And uh, it's going to be close to nine months, and we've not had a breakdown. That's pretty, it's, it's making some impact. I, I get people mentioning it to me all the time, so it's, um, it's really doing well, I think. Yes, it's doing very well. Yeah. In Indian tradition, Triveni means the confluence of three major rivers, the Ganga, the Yamuna, and the Saraswati, which is supposed to be the mystical river flowing down. So here it signifies India, Japan, and the rest of the world coming together to revel in Haikai literature. And that has been my dream for the last so many uh, years. Every feature is interactive. People can come in, people can talk, people can discuss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I admire you totally for getting it all together. It's, it's amazing. And um, again, if people haven't heard of it, and I can't believe that's the case, but if they haven't, details will be in the show notes so they can go and, and get, make their way around the site and, and have a look and a chat. Yes, they should. And, and of course, the second one, of course, is uh, uh, which we started eight months back, which is uh, the Haiku Kata. 
Haiku is haiku. Kata means story. And if haiku cannot be a story, what else is it? If kanka uh, cannot be a story, what else? If haibun cannot be, haiga cannot be, you know, what story is coming together. It might be brief. It can be just a window that is open, but it's still a story. So it's called haiku kata. Uh, I mean, I have plenty of projects. <laughs> I, I keep inventing. Okay, but one project which I started in 2010, which two, two such programs I did for a Haiku North America conference, where I take a dancer who is a specialist in her or his field, and then I bring in Haiku or Tanka or Haibun. Okay, and that has worked so well. Right from uh, 2010, I've done nearly uh, some 10 or 12 uh, shows where I've read my poems and the musician has played or the dancer has played. The only difference is I do something called the Sat Sangat. Everywhere I've seen, the music is in the background mm -hmm. and people are reading. Even uh, free verse does it. Everyone does it. I don't. Because I come from the music field, I know what amount of uh, practice and concentrated effort the musician has put. It's not just to be in the background, mm -hmm. no. So both of us take the platform on the same level. It's called satsang, together we perform. So when I'm reading, he, the, the light is not on him, the light is on me. And he is just quiet, maybe listening to my poetry. Then when I go back, the light is on the musician, whether it's a dancer or whether, or sometimes it's a dancer, I even go away from the stage, the dancer takes the center stage, she dances. And after the program, she moves out and then I come in. So this way what happens, the listeners are not divided. They're not saying, oh, I have to see what the dancer's doing. Oh, what is she reading? I miss the reading. No, that is not the way we're going to do it. Give full importance or full space and full breathing spaces to each artist. And that is how I've been doing and it's been very, very effective. And even in the Haiku North America, I took a dancer, Bharatanatyam dancer, Preeti Ramakum Ramachandran, and she did beautifully and people loved her dancing. And then after she moved and went and sat in her uh, chair, I came on to read my poetry. So it worked very well. So that is something that I love to continue. The COVID sort of gave a, yeah. a break to it, but I want to go back to it. You can take any art and combine it with yoga, with the haiku. Oh, Carla, you give me so many ideas here that I'd love to try. <laughs> yes, yes, we should. I should. I should get together with some of my family's Irish dancers and see if, um, if they can do something. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, that would be gorgeous. It would be interesting. This is this is true. Yes, um, it's leadership. It's leadership. What the, what the Japanese have taught us how to do it. I think. Have you got any of yours on on YouTube or or video anywhere that people could? Oh, access? I don't think. I don't think it was. Uh, it was state, but nothing professionally done. It was oh. not. It's not. Um, I have some uh, another poem. If you could read it to us. I dip my feet. In a river, the river joins the sea. In one way, I, I desire to put a comma in the second line in a river. 
but I read some of your writing about this poem and I know why you didn't. Could you tell us, can you tell the rest of us why? Three years ago, I experimented with another form of disjunction, you know, Richard Gilbert brought the idea of this junction into our um, vision some years back. That's right. So I brought another form of disjunction, superposition, the action of placing one thing on or above another, especially so that they coincide. See, that goes back to non-dualism, Advaita, the principle of oneness. And that is what I did. So the way I see it, three totally different images weave in and out of a 12-word poem. Mm -hmm. I dip my feet in a river, is one thought or one image. In a river, the river, the river joins the sea. Now you'll understand I dip my feet in a river and you'll understand the river joins the sea. So I dip my feet in a river, the river joins the sea is the poem. No, the second line is in the river, the river. Yeah. In the bamboo, the bamboo. The waterness in water. The Patricia in you. The color in me. If you understand that, and then that is what I'm saying. I dip my feet in a river. The river joins the sea, comma. I'm not having the comma. I dip my feet in a river, the river joins the sea. Many people have not understood that I've tried uh, multiple breaks in a three-line poem. Yeah. And still not make it cluttered. We're, while we're still on the, the, the river, going back to that essay that I spoke about, the one about the silence, you wrote this, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. You said, for long, I've also held the view that techniques are the banks that allow the spirit of creativity to flow. Without these banks, there would be devastation. And the saddest thing is that the river would be lost. Now, you've already told us how you came across haiku. And I hope what you're saying here is that technique in haiku is very important. And I just wondered, how do you or how have you in the past made sure that, you know, You've learned as much as possible. Where did you go to learn about haiku? Oh, I think uh, my coming into haiku was a serendipity. I wrote a poem about this river. <laughs> it was called Tradition with, from a music angle. And then I posted it in Bology.com, which is in America. So he took this poem and then he said, do you want to see how it has come out? Because it's only uh, online and I can always correct it. So I went to the poetry section. And when I went there, two things flashed, haiku poetry and Burmese climbing verses. I downloaded both. I said, why am I writing poetry without even knowing what poetry is? Because I was in music all the years, okay? And then some of the Burmese climbing verses were too complicated for me. And haiku seemed simpler, only now we know how complicated it is, okay? And then luckily for me, that person, um, Smita Chakravartulu, She's a Telugu. I tried to contact her just to say thank you to her. She didn't guide me into the 575, which she could have easily done. Mm. And I would have been in a different world altogether. Yeah. But after the whole five lessons, one, two, three, four, five, and I just followed it 
The last was send your poems to Simply Haiku. 2005, Simply Haiku was doing brilliantly well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, she said, send your poem to Simply Haiku. And she gave me the email ID. And I sent it to Robert Wilson. And he said, my friend, you've written everything about music. That is not Haiku. Haiku is also about seasons and nature. And then in 15 days, I went to the, um, the, the Tanka uh, section there. And Michael McClintock was the editor. And I sent him 30 Tanka without knowing ABC of Tanka. You know, I was already new even to Haiku. He chose one. He chose one. And he said, if you can give me four more like this, I'll make a set and I'll, I'll, I'll feature you. Wow. I wrote back and I said, 30 Tanka, the weakest poem you've chosen. Okay. And then you want me to write four more. I don't think it's possible. I really did my best. I kept on trying. And uh, it is through the editors, through their rejections that I learned the craft. And again, I would say it's a wrong way to say I've learned haiku because I think it is an ongoing process, isn't it? I'm still learning. And I, and I always tell, this I always tell, art is bigger than the artist. Art is bigger than the artist. There is no mastering it. It's impossible to master music or painting or poetry. It's impossible. It is like the horizon, you know? Yeah. The closer we go, the farther it goes away. Now I like to tell a small Zen story. I always tell Zen stories. I have a lot of them in my memory. But this I'm just going to say. After 10 years of study, Tenno achieved the rank of a Zen teacher. One rainy day, he went to visit the famous master, Nanin. When he walked in, the master greeted him with a question. Did you leave your wooden clogs and umbrella on the porch? Yes, Tenno replied. Tell me, the master continued, did you place your umbrella on the left of your shoes or to the right? Tenno did not know the answer and realized that he had not yet attained full awareness. So he became Nanin's disciple and studied under him for 10 more years. So Haiku, isn't Haiku so similar? How can I ever say I've learned something in Haiku? I'm still learning, each day I'm learning. Now Kire is a very tricky thing in craft. Yes. Very tricky. And every time, so far, I'm not being critical, but when I go to a workshop, uh, they just say kire, they just say cut, they say juxtapose, and they leave it. Mm. You're leaving the student hanging on a hook. Yeah. Okay. I've taught um, undergrads from 2012, 10 years. I think I've got the knack of teaching them what kire is. I take nearly one hour to teach them and then I give them exercises. But how did I understand it? Through various means. Once I'd gone to London, my son stays there. And then my son just gave me the oyster card and he said, Amma, go to Trafalgar Square. There is a square there and you can just see it. So I didn't expect a museum there, art museum there. When I went to Trafalgar Square, I saw all the statues and then all the people standing around and it was all beautiful. And there was a 
few steps and there was a huge thing, um, Trafalgar Museum. So I just went over there, it was already 3.30. And when I went, a group of people were behind the curator and she said, I just have 10 minutes, I have one very important painting to tell you all. She showed Caravaggio's painting. It's a beautiful painting. It's a round table. Mm -hmm. Four people here and this side is open and a basket is jutting out. A cane basket is jutting out. And why was he commissioned? The, uh, the curator saying, those times we didn't have the TV and the television and all these things. So when people are crossing, there should be something so attractive that they step into the church and then we'll take care. So that basket is almost slipping out. It is jutting out. So you feel like walking in and pushing it in. And she called it lateral space. I said, this is what we do in haiku. We do the semicircle in haiku. We leave a little bit for the reader to enter. So the concept is not new. The concept is something where you correlate and make it stronger. And then I went to the Film Institute. I wanted to do their one month intensive course on film appreciation. I want to know how film producers throughout the world use the cut. Because I'm a haiku poet and cut is very important for us. And I need to know how masters do editing and cutting. It is a technique and many professors, when they came, they spoke about haiku. They said the, the Americans and the Russians and the French learned the technique of cutting and juxtaposing and montage only from haiku. So these are all I think are the ones which help me to understand what Kire is about. Kire is not just two images juxtaposed. How does, how can a fresher know what to do with it? I hope it's a long answer, but I hope uh, uh, I'm on the right track. Carla, thank you very much indeed for coming along today and having this chat with me. We had such an interesting time that uh, I've invited you back and happily you've agreed to come back and do some reading for us. So we will see you very shortly with a second edition of the Carla Ramesh Show at Poetry oh. P. Readings. Thank you so much for coming along today, Carla. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patricia. Your questions and the way you asked and the way I could go deep into them, I think I would relish, not relish, cherish this moment with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carla. Thanks again to Carla for coming along to P-Towers and chatting with me today. And of course, to agreeing to come back and read to us again. She'll be back next time. Do come along and join us. If you'd like some more Haiku and Senryu and more chats, do have a listen to our other podcast, Haiku P. Also available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on YouTube. If you'd like to keep up to date with all that's going on at Poetry P, please sign up for our mailing list. It's totally free. And of course, you might miss out on something if you don't. Ciao.